0: Hey everyone! Welcome to Spin Radio, your guide to understanding the trends, tools, and techniques to help your business thrive in the fast-moving landscape of digital and web. Spin Radio is brought to you by SpinWeb. We're located on the web at spinweb.net. I'm Michael Reynolds,
1: and I'm Allison Gidd.
0: We are your host today. Welcome, welcome, Allison. I know that uh, you're excited. Friday, we talked about where we're going for lunch. Any decisions made?
1: I don't think so. I rarely get to pick where we go for lunch. Not that you, that's a bad thing. You don't get just, to pick
0: or you choose not to pick? I,
1: you are absolutely... I choose not to pick because usually I just don't care. I'm like, yeah, but food is food.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I can usually meals. find something. <laughs> although there are a couple of restaurants on our list that are now dead to me because they've taken things off the menu that were amazing. So yeah, you know, McKinsey River, for example, used to have their goat cheese queso. Took it off the menu Well
1: you know they took My favorite pizza Off the menu too Like six months Before they took your They're dead cheese to queso. us <laughs> No so longer on our it. list and They weren't my favorite To begin with And then
0: Soms I loved Psalms Because they had The enchiladas Nathan's with me. Yeah, the enchiladas are gone. Took them off the menu. I
1: will say, when we all would go to Psalms together, like basically everybody either got the enchiladas or the nachos.
0: Or the uh, tenderloin, right?
1: Well, I got the tenderloin one time, but I didn't do it. I haven't gotten it ever again. I mean, I like the tenderloin. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: (laughs) If you like that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're you're into that, which I am.
0: So those two are off the list. They're dead to us, so we'll figure it out, I'm sure. So to have a great show for you today, we have a few things on Weekly Roundup. Uh, kind of a variety of things um so let's get to it first up five things how do you say this is it cond nest
1: condonast
0: condonast um so i'll also something first on a weekly roundup five things nest learned from creating basically a millennial foodie brand
1: yeah so condonast is the major publishing house out of new york they you probably know them most of if you're familiar with the branding you know them from a travel angle um but they they do like
0: publications they and do stuff. A ton of, yes yeah. they
1: run a ton of the major publications nowadays like cosmopolitan i'm pretty sure is under their brand um so they created a millennial foodie brand called basically and what i thought was interesting about this is that they have <laughs> they kind of stepped outside of their normal comfort zone of publications and created this brand specifically for millennials to meet them where they're at, which is online and to um, and food and food. Yeah. <laughs> hi. We all know the millennials love avocado The toast. internet
0: and food. The
1: internet and food. <laughs> what else do you need? I, I mean, that's like basically, yes. Like in my, in my obituary someday, that's all it's going to say. Internet <laughs> and food. <laughs> and so um, I, what I loved about this overall story is not even necessarily the specific takeaways, but the fact that they took a risk, they created a product specifically for millennials met them where they're at and it's now thriving. So they have they built this a year ago or they la- I shouldn't say they built it. They launched it a year ago. I'm sure that they were building it for a while before that, but um they launched it officially uh a, about a year ago, just a little over a year ago. And it's all things that we know about millennials. So basically, it is all about visually driven learning. So there are a lot of visual components to this to this platform. Um, less is more. Fewer ingredients. They're including fewer ingredients in the recipes that they're putting in Ooh, there. I like that. Yeah, search is not a dirty word. And so that was one thing that they were talking about because they're you know print editors that SEO was almost like a dirty word at one point in time to print people because it meant that they weren't using the print component. So they embraced the fact that people are using the internet. Um, the personal narrative matters.
0: I just and, find that phrase funny. I'm sorry. They embraced the fact that people are using the internet. <laughs> yeah,
1: but you know what? That's really difficult for some I know. brands to understand. I know. It's true. And so when you are, uh, I mean, okay. We all know that the number one audience that we always hear, at least I should say most marketing agencies, when you hear them say, like when you hear your companies or your clients say, you know, what's your target audience? Or they always say, well, we want to grow the millennials or we want to grow the quote unquote young people, whatever that means to Mm -hmm. them. Um, But then they don't change anything about what they're doing or what they're offering in order to reach the appropriate audience. So if you want to grow the audience in a specific way, oh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, I just showed
0: yes. Allison the picture of the frozen yes. margarita pie on their yeah. fight.
1: This has am, your name
0: written all over. I am
1: <laughs> on board with that. Fully on board with that. Um, so if you want to grow and evolve with the marketplace and, and attract these particular this particular audience, then you need to adapt potentially your service offerings along with that.
0: I kind of like this site.
1: Banks and credit unions, I'm looking at you. <laughs> you can't just expect that everybody's just going to go with the status quo forever because I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case with these with these youngins.
0: I am lost in the world of Chipotle honey shrimp tacos. So, uh,
1: yeah. So, oh, yeah. so b- sorry, what, I'm, I'm done. The, <laughs> what's the actual domain? Basically.com?
0: Right? Uh, it's actually, it basic- well, I ended up on Bon but... It's boneappetit.com slash basically okay, apparently.
1: Okay. So then they did it under their brand. Is boneappetit.com bon one of their
0: brands? Yes. Okay. That's their magazine. So it's like a sub brand yes. of gotcha. Yes.
1: That is their that's um Condonas like m- I would consider probably like flagship food gotcha. publication. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's like a like a print magazine.
0: Okay. I don't I don't know the the world of uh all these fancy brands like you do. So I get a little confused for a minute there.
1: Well I you know I still love a good magazine. I'm not going to lie to sit and so you're, hold it in my hand. So that's probably why I know a lot of this stuff.
0: So sorry, I was lost in shrimp tacos for a minute there, but your point is that you're, they're meeting their audience where they are. Yeah. You're the,
1: meeting their audience where they are. The, Everything is visually you know, they, they did some research on what millennials like, what they don't like, how they're going to reach them. And then they built this brand surrounding that. So that right. way they could reach the next generation and not, you know, fall into obscurity
0: they didn't fight the trend they no went with they
1: totally just went went with with it yes i like it millennials are not evil you guys i promise even though everybody says that we're killing some of my best friends are millennials certain industries (laughs) (laughs) i mean literally everybody on this team is a millennial so (laughs) except
0: me except
1: for you and so uh
0: all right yes definitely so next on our list i couldn't resist including this i know it's been talked about before and I talk about this sometimes as well, and it kind of relates to our culture episode we had a few episodes ago. Uh, but this is from Inc. Magazine, and it says, It's official, open plan offices are now the dumbest management fad of all time. <laughs> I love seeing this headline because it's so true. So, open plan offices were just really popular. For, I don't think they're still popular, actually. I see them all the time still. And the idea is that you get this big room. And you stuff a bunch of people in the room and you give them all desks that are like back to back and you know, there's no walls or anything and it's just big open kind of party concept. And the theory is that it will improve collaboration. I'm sure you've seen, maybe you work in open office concept as well. Maybe you have created one or you work in one or you've seen them. Uh, The thing is the opposite is actually true. When you get into an open office concept or an open floor plan office, as they're called, collaboration apparently actually decreases according to the studies they've done and the data they're gathering in these environments. So collaboration decreases because everybody is trying so hard to like find their own private space. They put headphones on, or they duck away to conference rooms to make phone calls, and they end up not collaborating because they're so tired of being in a fishbowl. And it's, it's, a counter, it's a counterproductive to what the goal is. And so I mean what are you I'll I'll pause for a minute there but what are your what's your take on open office floor plans Allison?
1: Yeah, so I was in an open office concept before I started at Spinwell. in a past life. In a past life. <laughs> um and prior to that we were actually in an office that was not an open uh, an open concept. Everybody had their own office with a door. We had a few cubicle type offices as well, but most everybody had an office with a door. And I will say that I just think that I don't know. I part of the reason why I know that they went through the for the open concept was because it was a cost savings measure. Yeah, it's cheaper. And so I feel as if there are a lot of cases where people were saying, like, oh, do these open concepts, it's gonna improve collaboration. Everybody's gonna hold hands and make s'mores and sing kumbaya around the magical fire that's in the middle. Uh, the The magical fire of collaboration that's in the middle of the office. when in all reality, they were like, we can save money on HVAC. Yay. <laughs> so
0: we're going to cheaper space. that doesn't get a have cheaper walls
1: space in it. that doesn't have walls. And we aren't going to pay for the build out of that. Now I love having a happy medium because we have space here in our office Mm -hmm. where we all have a place that we can go. Um, Even those of the the team members that aren't in here on a regular basis, they're all welcome to use. I mean, anybody can use my office anytime. Michael, Michael's office, Heather's office. Um, We can use an office at any point in time to close the door, to get away if we need to, but then we have a great collaboration space that we can all go out to and meet uh, and Mm -hmm. meet. So the, when people want to collaborate and when they can collaborate, then great, they do it. If not, then they go into their office and and work under the circumstances that work best for them. So I think personally, it's better um, just from like a team leadership perspective, it's better to encourage people to work how they are going to work best as opposed to forcing them into this collaborative environment because it doesn't work for everybody. And I think collaboration is still a critical component to the majority of uh, to, to most industries and most work environments in general. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way all the time.
0: And when people are in open office floor plans, they start using email and messaging with greater frequency. Oh, and so gosh. because yes. they don't want to just like shout across the room or have everyone here listen to their conversation. So they do instant messaging and email a lot more, which again, stifles collaboration. So um this article states that open floor plans are the worst possible way to make collaboration happen.
1: <laughs> and like there are people I'm really good at multitasking and I'm good at talking to people and like talking, you know, about personal stories and whatnot while getting work done. Not everybody can do that. Like Heather on our team yeah. has to like really hyper focus. She can't have any other noise. And I think that for people like that, then they don't succeed in those types of, of environments and then you're losing out on potentially some really stellar team members just because they don't work well in a, an open collaborative space. Yeah, it
0: just makes them hate working. Uh, you know. And
1: honestly, okay, I love, I love the door of my office. It like makes me so happy that I can close it and just like have a moment to myself um, but also having the walls that I can hang stuff on. Oh yeah, like I've got like your own space. Yes, yeah, yeah. like it's it's like my own little space where I can hang my own photos. Um, if you've watched any of our videos, you can see. So I've got some artwork hanging on my wall. Um, I can have pictures of my kids around. Not that you can't have this stuff in an open environment. I just think it just I don't. It's just not as easy, and it's not uh, it's not the same as having it up on the wall.
0: This article also goes on to. Touch on the idea of working from home. They didn't really go in depth, but uh, they said instead of a, if you want to save money, instead of getting a big open office floor plan office, um, get a smaller office with some private space, and then they say implement a work from home policy. Which that still reeks of, you know, control and and kind of trying to control people work because it's a policy, and I'm sure it has all sorts of rules attached to it. But I would go a step further and say implement an environment like we have, which is work wherever you want, whenever you want, as long as you get your work done, which that kind of takes care of you. You can save a lot of money with that type of culture because you will only need the office as a home base, as a tool. And I mean, we have, we have seven people on our team and then, and we have three private offices. And so we have people coming in and out, working from home all the time, and we have enough space at any given time for anyone to have private spaces. And so it's really easy to save a lot of money by having using the office as a tool and that's your mindset as opposed to this big place where everybody has to work. So I thought it was great. I'm sure another other article will come along at some point in the future again, but uh, this was one of the better ones um, with actual data um, talking about the downsides of open office floor plans.
1: Well, and I'm, I want to give a shout out to HubSpot really quickly because we've been to both HubSpot office buildings or the main office buildings mm-hmm. in Boston or I guess technically Cambridge um, and they, I think, have done a really nice job of the balance between the two concepts of having private spaces and an open concept. So everybody has their like desk within the open concept environment that they can go to um, and that they can make their own space. But then they have a ton of options of other locations that they can go to work to have maybe some quiet time that might be a little bit more private. Maybe they can collaborate with other people in a more... Um, uh, more just like a different type of environment. Like they've got a couple of like booths in the wall next to the cafeteria in their new building. And
0: There's and always a private space to yes, find. Yes, so there's a always
1: spot. a private space to find, even though it doesn't always. See, it might be in a public area. It still comes across as very private mm-hmm. and and um confined in that people aren't gonna necessarily. You know, be super distracted by everybody's conversations. So yeah, they have a nice
0: space. They've, they've done, done a good really, job. Yeah,
1: they've done a really nice job with their, And they, they do have a bunch of um, places where you can have closed doors as well. So,
0: so next on my list, uh, how QuickBooks nearly doubled traffic by deleting half its content. So this is more of an example case study relating to something we talked about um, maybe a few episodes ago or a while back. We talked about how deleting some of your content on your website can actually improve your SEO results. Which is counterintuitive because we always hear the, the mantra of more and more and more content, yes, right? Yes, yes. So I thought it was interesting. Yeah, go ahead. You had a comment? Well,
1: I was, when you posted this, when we were talking or when you when you shared it the other day, um, I had a client at the exact same time basically ask a bunch of questions about deleting content. Oh, really? And, and the effect on the site speed and whatnot. I was like, it's funny that you asked this question because we, we have a case study today to talk about. So it's something that I think is on the radar of most people Um, that maybe their content might not all be as effective.
0: Yeah, so apparently uh, Will Wagner, the SEO lead at QuickBooks, uh, if you don't know who QuickBooks is, um, that's probably rare, but uh, QuickBooks is the leading uh, bookkeeping uh, and invoicing and kind of financial management software for business. Uh, They decided to delete 2,000 blog posts, and it says to fight off a slow decline in organic traffic. Um, so these 2,000 posts represented more than 40% of the QuickBooks Resource Center uh, and tens of thousands of dollars in investment and countless hours of writing. <laughs> and I think they're making that point to say, despite the fact that there's a big sunk cost of all this content, you know, it's, it's half the Resource Center, you know, five figures of investment, tons of time spent on this. A lot of people would say, well, I'm not going to delete all that stuff because we have a sunk cost of creating it. Well, actually, uh, in their case, once they did this, their traffic was actually up 44% uh, at the last measurement. And so that also contributed to a 72% in signups as well. So content printing can work when done intentionally. Uh, so they kind of go on to caution you: say, hey, don't delete half your blog on a whim. You want to make sure that you have a true plan behind it. So step one is make sure you aggregate your content or really analyze your content to decide what you're going to cut, and the way they did it is they filtered out articles that ha- had low traffic, uh, no conversions, were clearly not elevating their overall search traffic. They were actually just kind of you know stagnant and not really doing much. And so once they cut out all that content, they had what they had left was their strongest content. And so make sure you're really doing a, a thorough anal- analysis of your content so that you know which content is not performing and you know exactly what to cut. And then step two. They made a plan for their redirects and their broken links and updating their sitemaps. And so they really had to make sure they uh, put the right redirects in place so people didn't stumble upon broken links. Uh, and then step three, they said, make your case over and over. And this is more of a philosophical thing if you're kind of fighting this battle internally. you know, For example, if you're a marketing director and you go to your CEO and say, hey, I want to cut out a bunch of our content and delete it from the site because I think it could increase our, our search. Uh, results. Your CEO is probably going to say, well, we've spent you know $10,000 on that content. I'm not cutting it out. And That sounds ridiculous. And it sounds so counterintuitive. So using a case study like this can really help make your case for doing this. And I think we've talked about this maybe more than once in the past, how it's not so much modern SEO is not about more content or the volume of content. It's about serving the search the searcher, the person actually searching and getting their content. And so if you have content getting in the way of kind of muddying up your search results or or too many options that are mediocre, that can be a detriment to your, your search engine optimization results. So I think it's a great case study. It's linked on the landing page of this episode. So check it out. It's a, it's a nice case study about QuickBooks and how they really improve their SEO efforts by cutting out a lot of content. So um, good story and good validation and case study for what we've talked about before. Anything you would add? Miss Allison um
1: I don't think so. No, I was just thinking about um how like I was thinking about our process and how we do this because we don't do it on this scale of of kind of removing the dead content. We choose to take a more strategic route when it comes to repurposing the content. In oh, the and future. they did say that as well. Yeah. yeah. Repurposing or
0: merging content. Repurposing
1: or merging the content. Yes. So that's how we are approaching it for ourselves personally, because, and not everybody's going to have the volume of content that they have. So that's another thing to, to take into consideration, but um, starting kind of starting smaller and maybe you, I, I would probably identify the blog post first that you think are still relevant that maybe have some traffic to it, but have seen kind of a plateau over the last year. um, I would just bring that content back, revitalize it, republish it, and then um, start to, to weed out the content from that perspective. And did you say which tools he used? I can't remember if you mentioned that.
0: Uh, No, I don't think so. So he,
1: so in order to find this data, he scraped the site with screaming frog, which I love. Now I will say that, Screaming Frog is a is a tool that if you aren't overly familiar with SEO, um, I don't know how helpful it is going to be for you because I think you have to really know what you're doing and what you're looking at. Um, there isn't some like magical tutorial. I mean, I'm sure there are YouTube videos. Maybe that's a good YouTube video for for me for the future. But anyways, um, I'm sure that there are videos that can walk you through it pretty quickly. But um, just as a warning that it's not as, as intuitive, but it's a great tool. It's one of my favorites. And then he exported the data from Google Analytics and then merged the two spreadsheets together so that he could see all of the data in one place. So he could see all of the the SEO components with the the traffic data and then go from there.
0: All right, I'm excited about our, the last thing on your weekly roundup list because it mentions podcasting. Podcast,
1: yeah. So, um, and uh, on the show notes today, spinweb.net/radio, you can find a link to a contest from Rev.com. So, Rev.com is a transcription service that we use, and we have used. We've all, I think, we've all used it. Um And they are giving away – so the resource – I should start. The resource is How to Start a Podcast, The Beginner's Guide to Studio Setup, Hosting, and Everything Between. They are also giving away a podcast studio valued at $5,165. So, a
0: podcast studio?
1: Yes. What does that mean? um They are going to give away a podcast studio to people. It basically is – hang on. Let me see what the – the giveaway includes the following items um, from Rev, $1,000. call like the equipment you need. Yes. Yeah. $1,000 in free transcription, um, one year of free hosting on the unlimited audio plan from Podbean, um, Samsung or I'm sorry, Samson streaming studio, microphones, Ooh, stands, fancy. mixers, headphones, cables, um, cover art creation, intro, outro music, post-production for one episode, Wow. Um, Everything you need to start a podcast. I love this podcast engineering school, four hours of mentorship with Chris. I'm assuming it's current Plan your production equipment recommendations, improve your podcast audio quality and then social media rescue a three week social media podcast uh, launch package on up to three social media platforms. So it's really everything that you need to get started with a podcast, including kind of oh. a go-to-market social media plan, which I think is great. Yeah. So very cool. check it out there. You can um, see all of the terms and conditions, and they uh, you have 17 days as of 10, 24 a.m. on July 27th,
0: 2018. So. Love it. So get on it. Very cool. All right. Our main topic today is on third-party app. Uh, or build your own. So uh, how did this come about? Why Why are we talking about this today? I know the answer, but I'm asking for our listeners.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, glad you asked because this is actually probably um, one of the biggest challenge. I shouldn't say challenges that we are faced with. It's one of the biggest questions and one of the biggest um, conversations that we have with people as they are starting their website process. And so A lot of times people will come to us and they'll say, you know, we need something really specific to our event registration and we need it to do X, Y, and Z. And there's no platform out there that can do it. We have to build it from scratch. Well, then we go into the costs and the the resources that it takes to do all of the stuff from scratch. And it doesn't always work out that way. So um, as far as the... The, the then the basically the conversation goes from there and how, weighing the pros and cons of a custom app or a third-party app.
0: So a lot of people seem resistant to using third-party applications, I've noticed.
1: Why do you think that is?
0: I don't know. That's a good question. I think they probably get worried about extra cost or they think that it sounds like it's more complicated to have third-party apps. Um, so... Before we get to that, why don't we talk about what it like? What are some examples and what it means to use a third-party app in your website. So let's say you've got a website, and you're building a site, and you need something like, let's say, event registration. Or let's say you need something like online donations or uh, email marketing or something like that. Are those good examples?
1: Those are perfect examples, yes.
0: All right, so what would we typically use for, let's say, event registration?
1: Um, well, I'm glad you asked because we actually have a whole (laughs) video about our favorite third party applications and I go into the specifics of why we use them. Um, in that video, you can check that out on the, on the show notes page, but, um, probably Eventbrite would be the one that we use the most. I know you don't like that one as much.
0: Well, Eventbrite's fine. I mean, it works and it's definitely fine to recommend. The only reason I don't like Eventbrite as much is because their user interface is kind of like when you. When you actually get into creating the event page and putting the the content, the description, the images in there, it's kind of a clumsy editor. It's kind of weird. It's just kind of – I just don't like their interface very much. But it works great. It's a great platform. So I'm just picky.
1: And they've also changed it a little bit recently. When I went in there to look at it, well, since I've used it, which the last time I would have used it was when we started a SpinWeb web. Oh, okay, a, yeah. They have event. changed the event yeah. landing
0: page a bit. It's, it's like a big image on top okay, now. It's, yeah. So, so, yeah, it's there just, are
1: some some differences. It's okay,
0: it's fine. I mean, it's it's better than anything else you're going to use probably. So now, unless you're using like C Event or some big, huge, you know, convention planning software, and you really just have some basic events, Eventbrite's going to do a really good job and be fine. The other one I like is Ticketleap. Ticketleap has its limitations. It doesn't have as many features as Eventbrite, but it just looks better. It just overall is just a cleaner platform from a visual standpoint to me anyway. And so that's my favorite. But if you use Ticket Leap or Eventbrite, either one, you're fine. It's going to it's gonna work fine. Um, and the, the reason we use these is because your website is typically going to be built on a CMS, a content management system. So whether it's, you know, we use Zephyr, whether it's Zephyr or HubSpot or WordPress or whatever, really there's no... CMS platform out there with a really good event management system. There's really nothing out there. I mean, you can get WordPress plugins, and you can go down the, you know, the the black hole of plugin hell with WordPress. Yeah, but
1: plugins are third-party apps.
0: That's true. They are third-party apps. So you're using third-party thing. app anyway.
1: They're always going to be using a third-party. app. <laughs> you
0: might as well use something yes. that's really built for what you need to do, which is event registration in this case. So, yeah. So a lot of people that get hung up on, well, we have to have everything in house and build everything on our, you know, on the same platform, and that's really that can overcomplicate things. And it can make your life a lot more difficult. So, so yeah, so event registration is a great example. Another one is uh, we occasionally have uh, job applications as a a need for websites. And we use Workable sometimes for that. Mm -hmm. Workable is a pretty good platform. Uh, Google actually has a new hiring platform as well, which I've been investigating. It's called Google Hire. Yes. And have you messed with it much?
1: Um, A little bit. We've done some optimization work on our client site, uh, on a few client sites that Mm -hmm. are, are really focused on, um, the, the HR component oh, this nice. year. Okay. So we've done a few optimizations on the website itself from a search engine result page, which feeds into the higher component. Mm-hmm. But they haven't actually used... The, I have not seen the software in person.
0: Gotcha. I did mess with it a little bit. It looked pretty promising. Um, also, you can use Formstack, something like a form app, like Woohoo or Formstack, and you can manage applications really well. And, and a lot of times... This kind of leads me into to my next thought anyway, which I don't know if your head's going this way as well, awesome. but my head is going to the place of a lot of people think they have this huge list of must-haves and they won't budge from it. They say, well, I want my website to do these 25 things and I have to have these 25 features and functions on my job application or my whatever. And because they won't budge from it, they start to pigeonhole themselves into having to actually build it themselves. And if they were to compromise on, let's say, three to five of those things and realize that they could realistically live without those features, they could find a really solid third-party app that does the job for a fraction of the cost. Have you seen that?
1: I mean... Like every day? All the time. Every day. Um, (laughs) I mean, okay. So, i obviously plan a lot of websites here. Obviously.
0: Obviously.
1: Um, And so... There, every single time, there's always something that is what I would consider to be a standard piece of functionality that a brand feels as if is so specific to their business that it's not necessarily that specific to their business. And so I have to gently break it to everybody. Um, You're sorry. You're not actually that special. (laughs) You're (laughs) not actually
0: special. It's not that unique.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, And that it would be a a more cost effective option to utilize all of these third parties. Now, um, so obviously we use when Michael mentioned uh, Zephyr CMS, we use Zephyr CMS probably the majority of the time. Yeah. Um, part of the reason why it is built the way that it is built is because we wanted the ability to maximize on the best software out there for the for the job. So we don't want to just kind of build and have p- components to a CMS that are kind of like womp, womp. Um, we want to use the the best things that are out there. And so, when it comes to having all like so the the, the very specific list that you mentioned, um, a lot of times what I see is that if you changed one step in your process or you you compromised on one component, that could save you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, from literally. Having to, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's the one thing we haven't really touched on yet is the cost difference between a custom builder, a third-party application, I think that, you know, you start to see the the cost of the third-party apps start to add up. So they might be 50 bucks a month. They might be a couple hundred a month. Um, obviously that adds up to, you know, it might be 500 to to $1,000 in order to get all of these things to work on your site and have your site work effectively and efficiently. But that $500 to $1,000 a month is vastly different than spending well into six figures building something custom for yourself when you don't necessarily have to use it
0: and spending two years on it
1: and spending years on it now i will say what i mean we've talked a lot about using third-party apps i mean what are what are some of the cases where we would recommend building something customized for themselves
0: yeah if it's something that is truly specialized then it makes sense i mean I, i i'm just kind of making up examples let's say you are a healthcare provider and you have a very, very specific need to interface with a specific type of partner or patient or something, and there's nothing out there that does it. Uh, yeah, maybe. And you have the budget for it and you have the time. I mean, maybe that makes sense. Um, I'm trying to, It's so rare that we have a need for that that it's hard to think of examples, honestly, because most of the time they shouldn't be building themselves.
1: Correct. And I will say it's something that is going to be mission critical to your business that is so specific to you that nobody else out there is doing it, or nobody else out there has thought to build a software that's specifically for this function. So where we've seen this in the past might be within a specific industry, it might be a specific piece of software or a platform that needs to be built that nobody has built yet for a specific industry because maybe it's not that big. Maybe the the market isn't there for its own software that it, that it makes sense for you to build a, a custom piece for yourself.
0: And the problem also with, you can tell we're a very pro third party app by now if you haven't figured it out. But one of the other problems with building applications yourself or even hacking up a WordPress plugin, which is basically the same thing as building it yourself you get into all sorts of support and maintenance issues that it's hard to extricate yourself from sometimes. So like Allison said, you could spend six figures on building your own functionality on your website. I mean, yeah, you own the code, you own the application. That's the good news. The bad news is you own the application and you own the code and you're responsible for it. So you have to support it internally or hire someone to, to work on it for you and maintain it. Uh, if something breaks, you're in charge of fixing it. Um, It's a real, it can be a real nightmare to maintain your own software application. And unless you are a software company that is built to maintain a software application, it's not going to be pretty. You're not going to have fun maintaining your own application. So I would say less than, less than 1% of the time we see a need for building your own, honestly. And so, I'm glad you did this spinoff video because you go through, I think a lot of different examples of third-party apps and the ones we like to use for different use cases, right?
1: Yeah, so I go through the event registration, forms, um, email marketing, marketing automation, HR, and video hosting and video platforms. So I kind of walk through all of the differences between the two, why we like to use them. And uh, when there are free options available, I certainly let you know about that as well.
0: And one of the big ones that we... We didn't mention yet, and you may, I don't know if you mentioned this in your video as well, but LMS, like learning management systems oh, actually, or I membership didn't sites. Mi-
1: I did not use that.
0: That's a big one. You so are
1: so right. That is. <laughs> we
0: so yes. often have businesses or organizations come to us saying, hey, we want this private membership portal and we want to do all these fancy things and we want to protect you know, private videos and documents and have a learning management system and all this stuff and people. Pay for access and everything.
1: And They get certificates. And they get certificates. And they track their progress. And it's just uh-huh. this
0: big thing, and they're convinced that they have to build it themselves because they just can't fathom that there's apps to do it. I and have had that
1: conversation more than once with people in my personal circle about how they have such a customized need for an LMS. I'm sure you have built a CMS. I'm like, no, you actually don't need that. And
0: there are literally <laughs> hundreds of LMS platforms out there, and sometimes you can. Get what you need with a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the headache by uh, picking maybe two or three different applications, putting them together with integrations, and compromising on a few of your must-have requirements, that quote must-have requirements. And so, yeah, there's a ton of LMS platforms, a ton of membership platforms out there. So a good consultant or agency um, like us, for example, to tutor on horn for a minute, uh, will help you choose the right platform. Uh, the right agency will not just automatically take your order and say, oh, yeah, we'll build this for you, no problem. They will push back and say, are you sure you really want to build it? Let's do some analysis and let's do a project, first of all, a consulting project to figure out your actual requirements, your must-haves, your nice-to-haves, your maybe-need-to-have, and pick the right architecture and the right platforms to create this solution for you. And that's really the path that the vast majority of time makes the most sense.
1: And that is something that whether it's with us or with other consulting entities um, that you should expect to pay for because you're planning out a whole process and whatnot. Right, so right. Um, that's not something that I, I know, uh, you know, uh, I think when it comes down to the cost of evaluating all of these, that that should be uh, factored in. Right too into so, the planning process.
0: Indeed, be sure to watch Allison's uh spin-off video on the show notes at spinweb.net/radio. Uh, click on this episode. She is a nice little 13-minute video. She goes into detail about different third-party apps we like, how to use them, how they how they work with the website, and it's uh, really useful. So I love these spin-off videos you're doing.
1: Oh, thank you. And people are watching them. I've noticed people are actually watching them and
0: finding value from them.
1: Yeah. So, and also with this one this week, if you have a third party software platform that you use within your website that you really love, then please let me know. You can email me at radio at spinweb.net and I can add that to the list in the future.
0: Lurve it. All right. Anything else you would add or are we, we good on the main topic today?
1: I think we are okay on the main topic. I mean, I just kind of want to reiterate a custom build application is going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars.
0: Typically. Yeah.
1: Typically speaking. Oh, and it would probably, you mentioned kind of in your last point talking about integrating different systems together in order mm-hmm. to make things work. I personally think that it's better to invest that kind of money into an integration component. Yeah. Um, and working with uh, – because most platforms these days uh, have the ability or have the the API available that we can usually put them all together if we need to, but that still is a feat in and of itself and expect that to be a pretty high cost um, from an integration perspective, unless there's, like, a Zapier component to it that is pretty easy, but in most cases, in order to integrate multiple systems together – um you that's probably going to be a better use of your money than just starting to build something from scratch.
0: All right. Do we have any shout outs or announcements to wrap up the show with? I've got one. Anything on your list?
1: Um yes, I do have one on my list. Go for actually. it. What do you got? Um so I have a discount code for inbound. Oh, that's right. And it's a pretty hefty discount code. Nice. Um, but I'm not allowed to give it. Out publicly on the air you're not? so you have to email no really really why not well because it's against like it, oh, I, okay. i'm allowed to privately send it to people ah, so i want to follow so they have the,
0: to email yes, you so okay. i want to
1: follow the rules and i promise i will not hound you um radio at spinweb.net uh please email me i mean we're talking like it's almost like half off oh but, really yeah okay on, and me. by the way
0: in inbound is hubspot's <laughs> annual conference so if you're not sure i mean if you're listening, you probably know about it. But if you don't, um, if you go to inbound.com, you can read all about it. It's a great conference. They do a really great event every year. So it's phenomenal. So um, that's what we're talking about.
1: Yes. And let me, um, okay, so the, it's an all access pass and the full price for that pass is 1699 So $1,699 and the discounted rate is 799 Oh, that's that's. For an all (laughs) access pass, you guys. So email me, please. Radio at spinweb.net. And I can get that hooked up for you. If you've never been to Inbound before, it's a really, um, I mean, it's a really electric time to be there with everybody talking about marketing and learning. And they always have really awesome um, keynote speakers there. And they always do like a comedy show. Um, every every single year, and even outside of the keynotes, they have spotlight speakers that are sometimes even better than the keynote speakers. So it's just, it's all it's awesome. Yeah, a lot of it's, fun. It's a lot of fun. So get your
0: discount code yes, from Allison.
1: Please tell me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's good. You guys, I promise.
0: Um, I would like to continue to shout out and announce the uh, Habitat for Humanity of Hamilton County Gala. Um, this is more if you're a local listener in the Indianapolis area. Uh, I serve on the board for Habitat for Humanity of Hamilton County. and um, A lot of people don't think there is a need in Hamilton County for uh, affordable housing. Uh, Habitat, uh, I'm sorry, Hamilton County is a fairly affluent area, and so there's kind of this more and this myth that there's no need for affordable housing there, and there's not a need uh, for families to be served there, but it's, it's actually not true. There really is a need, and uh, we actually have a new case for support kind of document we put together, so uh, we're going to be publishing that on the site soon with kind of a story to tell about how our families are served by Habitat. But Habitat for Humanity uh, provides low-cost, affordable housing, uh, interest-free, low-cost mortgages for partner families who also provide, uh, they do pay a mortgage, uh, but it's an affordable mortgage, and they also contribute sweat equity and hours into the build process. They're very much a partner in the process. A lot of people think Habitat just kind of gives homes away to poor people, and that's really not the case. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's a partnership. Um, It helps kind of bridge the gap between families that are, are struggling and kind of moving them into a situation where they can enjoy the benefits of home ownership and kind of get to the next level in their uh, kind of their stage in life, and it really is a great program. So, anyway, I'm kind of tuning, uh, tuning uh, the horn a little much here, but I really believe in the organization. So, uh, there's an annual gala every year. It's a fundraising gala. It's a great event. Um, if you're local to the area, uh, go to habitathamiltoncounty.org/gala. G A L A. Again, habitat. HamiltonCounty.org slash gala. And you can sign up. There's tables of eight. You can do half a table and do a double date out of it. Uh, you can just That's do nice. solo or a couple. Uh, but it's a great event. Uh, it's a wonderful evening. It's a Prime 47 restaurant in Clay Terrace, which is a beautiful um, area. It's a great restaurant. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, 6 to 10-ish p.m. 6 to early whenever you want to leave. It's, a, it's kind of an all-night party. But <laughs> there will be great food. Uh, drinks, great socializing. A silent auction as well as a live auction. And I did mention this before. Um, I will be one of the uh, the men of Habitat being auctioned off.
1: <laughs> I forgot about at that. the
0: event. I know, I know. I have to really, you know, keep reminding people because we got to promote it. Um, I'll be one of the. I'm the board president, so I'm being auctioned off. Uh, Jason Haney, our executive director, is being auctioned off, and Jason Bone, one of our uh, staff members, is also being auctioned off. So. Uh, We're being auctioned off for specific skills like, you know, working around the house or, you know, I I think I'll be doing business consulting. So I think my auction skill, uh, the service I'll provide is going to be if anyone is thinking of starting a business or needs some startup business consulting help, um, I'll provide, I think, like three hours of consulting to help you start your business. So um, that's what I'll be providing.
1: You guys, that's so good.
0: Well, I think a lot of people out there, are they're starting side hustles, or they're starting a new business, or they just got you know, let go from their job, and they're like, what do I do next? And they're really thinking about, well, maybe I'll, I'll start a business. And so um, having been a business owner for 22 years, and the owner of multiple businesses, <laughs> many of which have started in the last you know year, um, I, have a, I think I have a lot to, to <laughs> kind of share with people and help them hopefully navigate the, the waters of business ownership. So,
1: Well, as someone who he <clears throat> has provided that knowledge with i can confirm that it's
0: great <laughs> i just love entrepreneurship it's, great. it's just
1: yes well and it's so great to have somebody yeah. like you like you to be a mentor and that's an awesome service to auction off so, so everybody check it should out. bid on that for sure also the SpinWeb team members of the SpinWeb team will be there yep, we have so a table
0: we will be come there hang
1: out with us uh, we've been to this event almost every two years right? in a row two yeah. years in a row yeah mm-hmm. so um, it's great food, which I know not every single fundraiser has the best food because it's fundraiser food usually. But it's a Prime 47 and it's very awesome. Good. Yeah. It's, yeah. Awesome. it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. And, and it's the, for
0: a great cause. It will awesome. yeah. directly help us <laughs> build homes that. for people in need. Yes.
1: So. And, you, and usually, I don't know if you guys are doing this this year, but usually they have a... Um, an individual that they bring in or mm-hmm. a family that they bring in to talk about their journey with Habitat for Humanity, yeah. Hamilton County. So you see the direct result of all of the fundraising efforts that the team is doing. You can see that and hear that story from them specifically. Um, so it's great to see that, like that that local connection there. And it's also just a fun night. And they had Dave and Ray last year.
0: It was so fun. And they're a client. We built their website. We did. So there you go.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So with that, I think we are good for today. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. Awesome stuff as always. And again, I love those spin-off videos you're doing. So, uh, Aw, thanks. And people are liking them. They're watching yes. them, and it uh, looks like they're getting value. So I know, I'm so
1: excited. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for everyone. watching, everybody. Yeah.
1: And listening. <laughs> listening
0: and watching. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate you joining us this week. Spin Radio is brought to you by SpinWeb. Uh, we're a digital agency on the web at spinweb.net. Uh, if you need help with anything that we provide, give us a shout. You can email us at radio at spinweb.net and thanks for joining us this week have a great day we will see you next time